If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! It's another edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar, and this time around, we are dedicating the entire podcast to the work done in medical simulation here at Nemours. According to the National Institutes of Health, medical simulation allows the acquisition of both clinical and non-clinical skills for use in a healthcare setting through deliberate practice, that is, not just observing what's happening during training, but participating in it directly. Simulation tools serve as an alternative to real patients. A trainee can make mistakes and learn from them without the fear of harming a real human being. And Nemours has not one, but two simulation labs, one located at the Nemours Children's Hospital in Orlando, the other at the A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington. It's in Wilmington where nurse Kimberly Dawson started 11 years ago in the emergency department, moving over to the sim lab about three years ago as a simulation education specialist, and where nurse Heather Sobolewski has been a leader in developing this futuristic medical training method since its introduction to the enterprise a decade and a half ago. So simulation actually started at Nemours back probably about 15 years ago when one of our physicians bought through his department our very first sim baby. And he was just looking for people who were interested in learning about it. So I was very interested. So I went to some a conference and some classes and learned a little bit about sim baby and It was literally myself and a physician just kind of exploring the hospital and going around and trying to get people to want to participate in, mostly at that time, mock code blues, um, so mock patient emergencies, just to practice. And then as it has grown tremendously (laughs) um, over the years, we started to purchase other simulation equipment and then as more people in within the hospital learned about it, um, we started using it for more than just patient emergencies. We started using it more for regular everyday education. So it, it took a while to get off the ground and just getting it out there and getting people to realize what simulation was and how it could help them. NICE, which is the Nemours Institute for Clinical Excellence, says Um, that simulation is a guided technique that recreates a real-life environment and gives healthcare professionals exposure to scenarios without putting actual patients at risk. And that is, I think, a big piece of what we do is, you know, what is going to give the safest, most high-quality care to our patients? And that really is, you know, through simulation and practice. Simulation operations specialist Melissa Cologne performs similar work and is based at the NCH Sim Lab in Orlando. What I'm known for is a simulation operations specialist, which entails a lot of the technical aspects of a simulation 
So from environment creation to the programming of our mannequins, as well as the coordination of these events, getting people together, confirming learners, and a lot of the the behind the scenes work that it comes with making sure that we are getting all the data analysts for our simulation center usage. I have a theater and an arts background, and I like the idea of creating environments and creating things to be able to replicate scenarios or, or things that could help our, our staff and our outside partners as well. We've had some uh, situations where we've, we've worked as standardized patients. Specifically, we had an event where we were, we were working on simulating an aggressive child event. This started right around the pandemic, so it was actually really hard for us to get a standardized patient in the hospital. So the staff looked at me and was like, can you simulate an aggressive patient? I said, okay, how hard can it be? Then it kind of went into that theater background of researching, okay, what what would somebody that's angry say or not say? What is my staff going to do to me? Um, How would I respond properly to that? So it's, it's very similar in that sense. When it comes to having simulations where it doesn't require a live person and it requires a, a mannequin, it still ends up being very similar to theater because we have to create an environment. And things that you would not normally think when you're creating these environments really do go into detail, like making sure that the equipment that is being placed in the room fits that mannequin goes back to those details that have to be very patient when it comes to theater. Well, one may think that simulation is a clinical-only type of training, the NICE Sim Labs can play a part in helping any Nemours associate or team of associates communicate better, perform root cause analyses on issues in need of resolution, and provide policy, procedure, and process evaluation. Melissa Colon. Our simulation center is what we call an interprofessional center. So we have different professions that work with us together. So everybody participates. We have physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, nurses, uh, paramedics, respiratory therapists. We've had social workers in our simulation center practicing some of our simulation centers. We provide education to really anybody in the organization. It does not have to be clinical per se. We will do education just based around communication. We've done education before with just the people who check in patients down in the, you know, in the front lobby and how to really communicate with the staff and the um, patients and their families coming in and um, how to make that customer service end better. So this is Kim. So here we have what's called a code delta. So if the organization's expecting uh, more than 25 patients coming in at one time from any type of mass casualty situation, they'll call a code delta. They'll also call a code delta if it's less than 25, and that would be a level two. So we do a lot of work with our emergency department and the other departments that would be involved in that in real life to try to set up that scenario and make sure all of the moving parts from the receiving the call to activating the system to getting the right people to the emergency department works. Not to mention preparing the enterprise to face the world's latest health crisis of COVID-19. Efforts that have provided for the highest level of safety and protection for patients and associates at Nemours and resulted in publication of two articles written by Heather Kimberly and NICE Delaware Medical Director Dr. Maricar Diaz sharing their Nemours-developed peer-reviewed best practices on COVID-19 with national and international audiences. 
So this is Heather. The first one is being published in the Journal of Patient Safety, and it was using simulation to prepare healthcare teams during the COVID-19 pandemic. The second one is being published in the American Journal of Infection Control, and that is the use of simulation to develop a COVID-19 resuscitation process in a pediatric emergency department. So both of those were written based off of our statistics and what we learned through trying to train mostly emergency department and pediatric intensive care unit staff, as well as our operating room staff on how to work with these patients, what pathways to do, how to move them throughout the hospital, because once they come into the emergency room, we need to get them elsewhere. How are we going to do that? And then the one for the emergency department was really how best to confine the patient in a space and how many people really needed to be in the room was a big piece of that. Because once you went in the room, you could not leave the room until the patient left the room. Um, So it was a sealed room within the emergency department. And then how many people really needed to be there to effectively take care of that patient when you're trying to minimize the number of people being exposed and trying to maintain some type of social distancing, which can be very difficult in an emergency situation. And then how best when it comes time to if the patient needs to be intubated, you know, that is an aerosolized generating procedure, how best to protect the healthcare providers. The simulation centers have a role not only in providing training to Nemours associates, but to the public as well. Melissa Cologne. At the time before the pandemic, we'd had students come in to practice life-saving skills on our mannequins, you know, how to tie a tourniquet, how to stop the bleed, you know, introduce them to a different kind of, of medical profession. Even the parents and caregivers of some Nemours patients take advantage of the opportunity to train in the Sim Center. So this is Heather. So we actually work very closely with with our uh, respiratory therapy department and pulmonology to work with our trach and vented patients and parents. One of the final things that the families do before they go home is come to the simulation center. We have a high fidelity simulator that has a tracheostomy. The parents then have to run through three Um, emergency type scenarios independently and successfully in order to be allowed to go home. The program itself is wonderful. The families love it and are often asking when they can come back just for that practice, that hands-on, okay, my baby is in front of me and they're turning blue. What do I do? And having to act in that moment with what they have available to them at home. And this is Kim, when it comes to the families, a lot of the feedback we get is that they really like the hands-on emergency practice. So when they're learning about trach care, they're doing that all on their actual child. So they're learning how to change their trach, they're learning how to suction the trach, all the normal everyday care they're learning on their child. When it comes to emergency situations, they're very anxious of, will they be able to act in that situation. And this is a way for them to practice and get that hands on. This is the emergency. This is what you look for. This is how you respond. 
And by being able to be in that situation and actually go through the motions of saving their child, they're getting a little bit of muscle memory that'll help them should the emergency actually arrive. And that's what they tell us when they fill out the form. They tell us it was a great experience. They're really glad they got to do these hands-on emergencies and they are feeling more confident taking their child home knowing that they know how to respond. And this is Heather. And we've even had parents come back and say that this did happen at home and I did feel so much better. I was able to jump in. We even had um, one family that the nurse that was at the house froze and didn't know what to do. And the family actually jumped in and they're the ones that saved their own child. As the SimLab program has advanced, so has the technology that allows for a more realistic training experience. We're talking not only better and more sophisticated software to help create specific workplace-based scenarios, but lifelike mannequins that serve as the stand-ins for humans and the centerpieces of many trainings. Fifteen years ago or so, when we got our first Sim baby, he was top of the line. He was considered, at that point, the most high fidelity uh, pediatric simulator. And they've come a long way. The newer ones, they they, tr- they truly are lifelike and they're probably the coolest thing that you see. The big ones with us are what we call their Super Tori. She's a nine month old baby and she can pretty much do everything. She moves all four of her extremities. She changes color for physiological response. She can blink, she can cry. You can start procedures on her. You know, there's some procedures that can actually physically be done on them. They can be intubated, put IVs in, put intraosseous needles in, those types of things. But now they have um, evolved to simulators that are completely wireless. So you can take them anywhere. You can put them in an ambulance, on a helicopter. We can drop them in the middle of a waiting room and do an emergency scenario there, wherever we need them, they can be. She has chest sounds and lung sounds. She's really realistic uh, to the point where we have, if we have to transport her across the hospital, we're very careful to make sure that we're carrying her like a lifelike baby because we've had situations where parents kind of look at us funny if we're carrying her backwards. Another vital simulation that the NICE teams can and have performed are environmental assessments to help create the safest and most efficient workspaces for teams across the enterprise, up to and including moving entire departments or multiple departments, to new locations. Kimberly Dawson. A big example of actually that that kind of work that we do in the systems integration piece of that is when we built the new tower for the hospital. We had to not only simulate activity for the staff in their new units, but the other thing that we simulated was the actual move. So Come move day, when that area was completely open, how are we going to move all of the patients from the existing hospital building to the new hospital building? That was hours and hours and hours of work, but it turned out to be so beneficial because the order in which we thought we would move patients when we did the practice move completely did not work. They found that because we originally were going to take the most critical patients over first, get them settled, and then move everybody else over. But during the simulation, we found that that really was not the ideal. And 
from that, we learned and changed the entire process. So come move day, we did get the complete opposite. And the day actually went extremely smooth, took less time, and every patient got moved over without any interruptions or issues. And as everyone has during this pandemic, workflows are changing. Whereas all could once gather together closely in a room in Florida around a high-fidelity simulator, the numbers allowed at trainings are smaller, necessitating some ingenuity on the part of the simulation educators. Melissa Colon. This pandemic has affected us in many ways with, with limitations that we, we, we found out that we had, but at the same time overcame. The first month of the pandemic, we were, we were shut down. Uh, we couldn't have learners in the simulation center for, for, for good reasons. But it, it gave us a time to reflect on our own procedures to be able to 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 find ways to adapt to the situation. So the first thing that changed was obviously our, our learner number in the simulation center to make sure that we were able to keep the six feet distance. People always tell you that you're never going to use algebra in life. And this was the time that I had to use algebra in life because we had to figure out how to properly place people in the rooms without having them too close together. And then when we finally start rolling, we had to adapt to new situations. So one of the biggest programs that we did was that we, we would travel to our partnership hospitals to provide them with neonatal resuscitation training. With the current pandemic, we're not allowed to travel outside of the hospital, but we didn't want to stop helping these hospitals train. So we actually, after some research and consideration, we used our own technologies in the hospital to be able to train from our hospital the individuals in the other side. We started doing telehealth communication simulations where we would guide them how to do things through an iPad. Our simulation center was used to test out some of the policies and procedures that were implemented because of the COVID-19. So it, it added value to our simulation center because a policy was implemented and the incident command came up back to us and said, can you test this and let us know how it works out? It didn't only allow them to see, have a visual presentation of what their policy would look like, but it allowed our staff members to say what changes they would recommend and implement them back to incident command. Um, So it showed the beauty of simulation in other ways, too. So this is, Heather, where we would typically have um, mock code blue scenarios throughout the organization Um, in the patient care areas. We are now doing virtually through telesimulation where the participants, meaning the the attending physicians, the residents, the nurses, respiratory therapy, really anybody who would normally be involved is now on the phone through WebEx. We set up our video system so that they can see into our simulation center room where myself, Kim, um, our medical director, um, Dr. Maricar Diaz, and one of our sim techs is physically in the room and we are the hands of the people on the phone. The team on the phone is actually watching us in the room. They can see the patient monitor. They can see the patient, which is a high fidelity simulator. And we then just do what they tell us to do. And then when that is you know, completed, then it, we do the debriefing, which is really the, 
most important part of any simulation to talk about how the simulation went, what could have gone better, you know, and then getting into the medicine side of, you know, what was really going on with the patient and what interventions should have been done or what were done and how the patient responded. And when all is said and done, the most important part of the simulation training process takes place. The debriefing. Melissa Cologne. The debriefing is is vital because during the simulation part of it, what you, what you're doing is you're 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 changing mental models, but people aren't thinking about these things while they're doing the simulation. So when the end comes, our job as simulation specialists is to get people to realize all the things that happen in the scenario and how they can change their practice. So debriefing is a magical skill and if you're if you're not very vast or or expert at it it can it could honestly detriment the whole entire simulation because people can come out getting nothing out of it so during debriefing you're this is where you're allowed to speak your mind as to if you made a mistake okay well what can i do to fix that mistake what would i do different debriefing in turn is is the the act of getting people to reflect on the actions that they did during the simulation to be able to know that they they grasp what you wanted out of the simulation. If you build something improperly and your learners don't get anything out of the debriefing, that's where you're going to know where you have to make those changes. Changes that serve to improve the safety, effectiveness, efficiency, and quality of the pediatric care that Nemours provides to the public. Thanks to the teams at the Simulation Labs in both Wilmington and Florida for the chance to talk about the work they do. Many thanks to Heather Sobolewski and Kimberly Dawson at the A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children, as well as Melissa Cologne down at NCH in Orlando for taking time out to take part in this edition of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. By the way, check out the show notes for this episode. There you'll find links to the peer-reviewed papers that we talked about that have been published by the Delaware SimLab team. That's it for today. Kudos, as always, to our podcast production team, Peter Adebi and Deborah Griffin. If you have ideas on what and who you'd like to hear from next on the podcast, maybe that someone is you, you can email us, podcast at nemours.org. That's podcast at nemours.org. You can find the Champions for Children podcast on your favorite podcast app or just ask your smart speaker to play it. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for listening to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, stay well, stay safe, and thank you for all you do for the children we serve.